we get kind of attached to who we think we are, the story we tell about ourselves in the world. And that can be very limiting. That can be something that we evolve based on what we think we should be and who we think we should be. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 51 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and I'm honored to host these conversations and share some pretty amazing people with you. A Congruent Life is all about authenticity, and in particular, we share stories of reinvention, people who have the wherewithal to reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and go forward in a way that's more congruent for them. On today's episode, I'm talking with Jared Side. I met Jared recently in Arizona during a leadership retreat for an organization that I serve on the board of. Jared and his colleague Adam joined us for the first couple of days to train us in the ways of counsel. The time they shared with us was very profound and had a significant impact on the quality of the work that we did together over the subsequent days. Here's my conversation with Jared. I'm talking today to Jared Side, who is the executive director of the Center for Counsel. Jared, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad that we are able to connect. I'm really grateful for the work that, that you're doing in the world. And uh, you've had a pretty big impact on an organization that I work with a lot. That's been really helpful to our internal work. So I, as we spent some time together in the desert a while back, I knew that I wanted to invite you to the show and continue the conversation and talk a little more about counsel and the work that you're up to. That's great. I appreciate it. It was really great getting to know you guys. And, and uh, I'm excited to see where you're going to go with it. It's It's funny, you know, we work with a lot of different partners and the collaboration uh, often starts from the same kind of longing and goes in as many directions as there are. <laughs> we find it's, it's just really exciting to, um, you know, to be with folks who are in the process of kind of more deeply embodying their particular mission, to, you know, together, their work together in all kinds of different ways. It's exciting. It's an exciting uh, gig. <laughs> I'm really grateful to be in the seat. It's, it's fantastic. And I hope we can share some uh, stories about how that's showing up for you, uh, you know, over the course of our conversation here. Uh, but maybe let's just start with kind of a, a quick introduction. Can you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience and tell people a little bit about what you're up to in the world? It's an emergent process. So um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be responding to, as I said, it's sort of a, a longing to find community, to find presence in, um, in community in a whole different number of settings. And in my seat as director of Center for Counsel, um, I get to respond to um, groups that are, are longing for a practice. And this practice of counsel, which is essentially coming together in a circle and um, listening for what, what needs to be said and what is being said, what has been said, um, feels like it's enabling um, groups of all different sizes to uh, get closer to what it is that um, gives meaning to their, their lives and their work together. And this could be couples, families, communities, classrooms, assisted living facilities, uh, certainly organizations and uh, 
you know, institutions, prison yards and schoolyards and um, hospital wards, all kinds of things. I've just been in Rwanda for a couple of weeks. You know, it's right now uh, finishing up the commemoration, 20-year commemoration of the genocide against the Tutsis. And uh, we did some extraordinary work out there uh, and then came back and worked on a rite of passage uh, trip with a group of high school students from uh, West L.A., um, getting ready to go work with some teachers from uh, the, uh, the White Plum Asanga, which is a, a community of uh, Zen uh, centers around the country. And, um, yeah, it keeps reinventing itself with this practice of counsel. And I'm, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled to have the work that we do uh, really match this, uh, this sort of moment in our culture where folks are realizing that, um, you know, it's time to really listen to what's stirring in our heart and find each other in, in a kind of a more deep presence to, to be moving forward in community rather than as uh, lone wolves isolated and siloed and, um, you know, in a more competitive uh, posture. So that's kind of my work in the world is, uh, yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty diverse and, and pretty exciting. And, and again, I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity. How amazing that that work can have so much impact on an, uh, such a diverse group. I mean, from Rwanda to high school students in LA to Zen teachers, you know, basically without missing a beat. Yeah, well, it's an essential uh, practice. You know, it, it, it is something that I think um, is more a remembering than it is teaching any newfangled tools. And I think that groups, uh, well, I don't think I, I have lived in the last week or two that, that groups from uh, all kinds of different uh, spots on, on this planet uh, resonate with the opportunity to just set aside uh, the craziness and the pace and the um, conflict and strategy and agendas and just come together and be with each other as human beings. Something very nourishing about that and very restorative as well. So maybe as a way of, of introducing counsel and why you specifically believe that it is so important to the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your own story? How did you come to intersect with this work? I think that I had always um, been really inspired by storytelling. Stories were always so magical to me. And uh, pretty early on, I kind of felt called to be involved with theater and later with uh, film and television and things like that. It was part of my youth. It was part of what was driving me. Um, I had gone to Brown University, but I also had gone to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art for some time and um, really felt that, that uh, being an actor and a director was something that uh, could get me close to the authentic story and storytelling. And so that was the, the sort of the first um, uh, unfolding of my career, <laughs> uh, first in New York, a little bit in London, and then California, where I kind of found myself in the entertainment industry. Um, Quickly, it became clear that uh, what was successful in Hollywood, um, as far as the vocation and you know the financial side of things, just wasn't really um, satisfying to me. As far as finding an authentic story, you know, the, the storytelling wasn't so much there. So it was a little frustrating. Um, I had a uh, at the time my daughter was in elementary school, and I was president of the governing board for a public school here in Los Angeles. And what was happening after the L.A. riots in Los Angeles was really disturbing, and it was really um, kind of uh, heating up on school campuses. Ours uh, was no exception, and um, we were looking for some way to um, create a more peaceful, more aligned, more 
kind of harmonious climate at the school site and uh, happened upon the Ojai Foundation that was working with this practice of counsel in some other schools. It had started at the Crossroads School, which is an independent school in uh, Santa Monica. And uh, it had been a practice that had been brought into that school to really uh, empower the voice of the of the kids and help them find their way to their authentic selves. And it had been a really powerful piece of the curriculum there. And at the time of the, um, well, the violence around the Rodney King uh, incident and the riots that um, uh, subsequent riots in LA, uh, public schools became a place that, that folks put a lot of attention on uh, um, trying to keep the peace. And this uh, practice of counsel had proven to be a really incredible uh, community building practice at a couple of public schools, uh, middle schools, and then high schools. But we were an elementary school and we felt that you know we could use it as well. We called the folks in and in a very short time, what the practice of counsel did on that school site was absolute transformation you know it was incredible to see how the whole climate shifted amongst the parents and the community and the administrators uh what was even more surprising to me was what happened when council started to be introduced in the classrooms and um how the children took to it once the teachers realized it was a beautiful tool for teaching my daughter found her voice is kind of the best way I can say it. I, I, my, my, my daughter became a writer. My, my daughter found her story in doing counsel at school. Uh, so in addition to seeing conditions improve incredibly, you know, my kid is coming home and she's understanding something about uh, the way the pieces of her, lives, of, her, of her life fit together and the stories of her friends who, that she had a kind of a empathy for that was really unique and amazing. And watching the transformation of children um, and watching what happened in these classrooms as kids who wouldn't normally play together or really be in each other's lives were connected, had a kind of a cohesion that felt like it was running really deep. That was really, it just kind of knocked me over. It, it certainly got my attention as I'm you know, working in an industry looking for authentic storytelling and finding my daughter's school coming together around the story, around you know, how do we listen to each other in a deep way. And, and find that find the voices of those who are not heard, uh, who don't have an opportunity to speak. That experience really um, it sort of changed my life. And uh, from that point, I got uh, really intrigued with what the OI Foundation was doing in uh, teaching the practice of counsel and building programs around this practice, not just in schools, but um, what it was attempting to do in a whole bunch of other institutions and organizations. And, uh, and I shifted my life around so that I could be part of it. And I uh, eventually would become a trainer and then started to coordinate some of these programs at a number of school sites around Los Angeles and then uh, moved into the prison system. And in corrections, there was a huge need for this kind of practice. And it was a surprisingly easy uh, transition to start working there. And from that, um, a number of youth groups and uh, healthcare situations, uh, elder care, um, and then some international opportunities. Um, and as the practice became more, um, you know, uh, built itself into programs, there was a great need to have an organization to support it. And uh, the OI Foundation uh, supported what we were doing in building these programs and eventually needed to be its own separate entity. And the Center for Council was uh, kind of imagined over a number of years. And finally, this year uh, became an autonomous, uh, independent entity 
that has a, a fiscal sponsor in Los Angeles called Community Partners and is really devoted to weaving the, the programs in a variety of different settings and um, holding professional standards around what it is to practice in this way. And um, so it offers trainings and then um, eventually certification for those who want to become trainers in this way and help us uh, build this movement, uh, not just in Los Angeles, but around the states and around the world. I really love the juxtaposition of finding your professional life in Hollywood and being there in a supposedly a storytelling kind of way, but coming face to face with this realization that this wasn't authentic. You know, Hollywood's probably one of the least authentic places you can imagine. Yeah. And then you discovered authentic story through your young daughter at an elementary school, and that's how she found her own voice. That's that's just amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty extraordinary, and it was certainly not what I was expecting at all, and really required a, a kind of a listening, you know, to my own heart and to what was, um, you know, what what new forms were emerging. I I never uh, I never thought that it would go that way, and and yeah, you're right. It it is kind of a, a, an amazing and bizarre juxtaposition, and I, um, you know, I found myself just so uh, inspired and energized by what I was seeing in these very, um, you know, seemingly simple uh, practices over an hour, a couple hours in a, in a classroom or in a prison or in an assisted living facility that just blew my mind. And, you know, seeing the way lives were changed, where people were touched on such a deep level and real healing, I mean, real healing was possible, was uh, invited and, and actually started to move in people when they really just entered into a space with that kind of deep presence uh, setting aside all they thought they were going to do there, all of their, uh, not only their agendas, but their biases and their prejudices and all their assumptions about who people were and what they had to say. When it was possible to shift from that kind of knowing and analysis and strategy to letting go and truly listening, um, the, the surprise was really um, palpable in, in people's uh, kind of experience. You could see what it was to hear something coming out of someone's mouth who you never expected to say what they just said, and then to recognize that you were actually feeling things that you hadn't felt before. There is such a incredible um, generativity to that. There's such possibilities in that, and uh, creativity, really, in you know, um, kind of finding our, our destiny together beyond that which we thought was possible when we just listen to what's really there. And that's that shift from um, listening from our head and speaking from our head to listening from the heart and speaking from the heart, which is the core intention in creating council circles is to create a container where we all agree to step in and, and listen deeply from our heart and not from all the filters that we put on what we think is, um, you know, is in the circle, but really listening from what we're really experiencing and likewise to be able to give voice to, what's alive in us and fresh in us rather than what we usually say or what we think we have to say in order to, uh, you know, get our point across or get our agenda through. It's a really uh, remarkable thing to experience a, a group do together. And it consistently just uh, surprises me and amazes me and inspires me. Um, whether it's a group of, like you said, a group of 17 year olds from Santa Monica who are really finding their way into the kind of adults that they want to be and setting really strong intentions, letting go of the things that aren't working for them and, you know, becoming the, the adults that they, um, you know, that they feel kind of fulfill who they really are. 
or it's a bunch of folks in Rwanda who never expected to find themselves in a circle where uh, perpetrators and survivors are both able to share their story and see their common humanity. It's, an, it's a remarkable thing. We've been talking a lot about council and the, the impact that it's had you facilitated that you've observed. Maybe we should back up a little bit. Can you explain at a little more basic level what council is? People that are, might not be familiar with it, what, what is this council thing you're talking about? What is this council thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. council is a practice of coming together in a circle and listening for what's there. Um, it is a practice that uh, has many forms and many, many names, uh, traditions from around the world and throughout history. Um, and all of our ancestors had somewhere to go where um, folks knew when they showed up that uh, there would be a listening for what needed to be said, a distilling of the communal values, uh, understanding of you know who we are and what we do next. Um, if you were... Uh, you know, a, a Quaker, you might recognize this as a practice that, that Quakers have done, the devout listening practice. If you were in Hawaii, you might have seen Ho'oponopono as a process. You might have encountered Dare if you were in Zimbabwe or Diwan or Loya Jirga if you were in some Islamic uh, cultures or Ma'agal Hakshaba in Israel now, a listening circle. These are practices that, you know, are not indigenous to any one particular place but that seemed to be pretty universal. Um, when Benjamin Franklin was uh, observing the Iroquois, he was pretty amazed at what happened as they came together in their talking circles and called this process council, which is you know, one of the names that, uh, that we have been taught by some of the teachers in the tradition of the Ojai Foundation. Um, and what we are practicing now as the way of council is woven from many of these traditions and isn't... Uh, specific to anyone. And the real invitation is to um, make an offering to a group to find its own tradition, to use these basic elements, uh, essentially to understand what it is to be in a circle, to come together and each person have a seat and be seen, what it is to have a center, the second element, which really allows us to put that which is important to all of us right in the center of that circle. And it may be a, a classroom or a uh, a team in a business um, working together to create a product. It might be an organization or a community, but to understand that at the center, there are our communal values. There are what are important to all of us to understand that we step in to this way in a good way together, knowing that we're leaving behind the way we usually are. We're leaving behind the craziness and the pace and the confusion and the agenda and everything that clouds our ability to be with each other and stepping in through a threshold, over a threshold. And that when we are in council, there are these four intentions that we are all agreeing to um, intend to listen in that way that we call listening from the heart, where we're open to what's there and we're not clouded by the various filters of um, judgments and expectations and uh, biases. The um, second intention is that when we're speaking, we're speaking from the heart and that the things that are coming out of us are, are real in the moment. They're not the rehearsed things. They're not the things that we've always said. They're not the things that are about you know, our opinions and our deeply held beliefs that we've always had, but they're alive in that moment and trusting that in that moment that what will come is the right thing. That's spontaneity. And finally, that we understand that there's a, there's a group and the group has a certain amount of time to be together and we can make an accommodation and figure out how much time each person has. So with that kind of intentionality, um, we practice counsel and we know that 
when it's done, we can step out of this circle. And that's the last element of counsel, that there's a threshold that allows us to go back into the world and agree that was said in this council, was said because of this council, that we made agreements with each other to listen. We also made agreements that when it was over, it was going to be conversations in this particular circle into the next uh, situation, whether it's, you know, lunchtime or it's, you know, Facebook time or it's you know, other kind of casual conversations. It's what, what, what is said is really held as being uh, important and protected and maybe even sacred because we said it with a bunch of agreements around it. And those basic concepts, those basic elements um, are common to every council that we um, offer to folks, every workshop we do, every training that we do, and they wind up looking very differently. You know, they look different from, um, from organization to organization, from culture to culture, and, um, and they have to, they must. You know, this is really not about, uh, you know, imposing or uh, fixing a group by giving them uh, a prescribed way to operate. It's about working with tools to find a practice that um, can facilitate uh, a group understanding uh, how best to be together and how best to embody uh, its values, whether it's a family or a community or an organization or just a group of people that want to uh, be together in a good way and uh, and find a way to sustain themselves and, uh, and grow together. And that's a lot of words. <laughs> it's a lot of pedagogy and um, it's, uh, it may sound kind of intellectual, um, but those are the basic elements that are involved when we, uh, when we create uh, counsel and we teach folks um, how, to, how to integrate the practice into their, into their group settings. Well, it may be a lot of words, but I think that one of the things that's so compelling about this work is that it really fundamentally is so simple. You know, it really is about nothing more than showing up and sharing stories and being present to one another. And there's something that's very old and and comfortable about that, that we can slide in and truly be present to one another. But yet this is, you know, it seems so simple and, and it is, but yet it also goes so deeply. I so appreciate the way you just said that, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. It, it is, and it, it's um, it's so very simple, and it's not easy. You know, we have a complicated world and a complicated life, and we get ourselves wrapped up in all the things we have to do, and all the things that we do to sort, you know, and prioritize, and um, you know, uh, manage our our lives. And there isn't a lot of uh, space for this kind of uh, quieting and this kind of um, emptying so that we can be with what is real and alive. And we see that time after time and just being able to show up and get quiet and listen is so nourishing and also so healing really. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you and it is, it is quite simple. And, um, I've got a wonderful team of people who are, uh, certified, uh, trainers who uh, make it very inviting and very accessible. Uh, to a variety of different groups. And obviously, you know, in talking in the corporate culture, um, there's a different kind of language and a different understanding of why we do this. A military group will uh, approach what this is differently than, you know, an intentional community or a faith-based group. And um, that's what makes it so exciting is that everybody has their own access points. And what really happens when you are together in this way is uh, universally uh, nourishing. One of the examples that I found fairly 
extraordinary is the work that you're doing with prisons. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how that, how that came to be and some of the impact that you're seeing from it? Yeah, it's really what an incredible uh, honor it is. been a, a very big part of my life and uh, thrilling. We um, have found uh, that this work is, is very quickly uh, transformative in, on the prison yard. If you understand what that culture looks like, it is, um, well, I mean, you could say that it's siloed, but that would be a very kind way of saying it. It's extremely segregated and uh, very quickly on the yards themselves amongst inmates, um, one picks, you know, one's group or it's picked for you. And whether that's by ethnic uh, divisions or um, gang affiliations or racial lines or just, uh, you know, a kind of... um, groupings that come from the culture, the prison culture, you find there's a tremendous amount of antagonism and separation. And what the council does in the prison yard is create a, uh, a much more harmonious and peaceful environment. It also gives men and women who are incarcerated an opportunity to find their way to community and to being productive members of, uh, you know, of a group in ways that are really transformative for them and really make a big impression on the rest of the of the yard as well as the staff the programs that we have are really about training a group of motivated inmates to understand what this practice is and to offer it to a multi-ethnic mixed group um, on the prison yard to be able to come together and see in each other that which is common to their to their lives their their essential humanity that we all experience loss. We all experience joy. We all experience pride. We all experience heartbreak. And these experiences uh, are human experiences. They're not black experiences or white experiences or Latino experiences. They are not old people, young people, gay, straight. These are this, this is about what it is to be a human being. We can find our way through our stories to uh, that which resonates uh, amongst all of us. And when counsel is practiced, as it is in a number of prisons now, something happens to the culture. It gives folks an opportunity to shift from assumptions that we are different and we are separate. We are competing. We are adversaries. We may even be enemies. And that being the case, we need to oppose each other and maybe uh, make it possible for violence and then uh, and worse with each other. That kind of um, positionality doesn't lead anywhere good. And reversing that can be really uh, transformative, both in terms of the culture on the prison yard, but also in terms of what prison means for those who get out. You know, we we um, understand what it is to impose sentences, and then sentences end, and then what? Our work with prisons is about uh, creating the opportunity for time in prison to be a transformative experience that helps those who are getting out understand that it's possible to step away from behavior that got them there into a new chapter when they return uh, that is about carrying a kind of a a healing, a kind of a listening, a kind of an openness back into the communities where they will be important members, uh, in many cases, elders of those uh, neighborhoods and communities and can play a really important role in the healing that is critical there when they return. Fantastic. I mean, I'm just, I'm stunned by the, by the impact that you're having there in that way. Well, I I do want to say that, um, the programs that we have been developing have two components, and, and this is what makes them somewhat unique. 
the programs that teach inmates to practice counsel together and to invite others into these counsel circles are linked with programs that are happening in the community, in faith-based groups and community-based organizations where the staff of these organizations that are serving communities are have been learning counsel and are beginning to practice counsel with their stakeholders with an open seat for those formerly incarcerated folks who've reached the end of their sentence and are integrating and re-entering society. They are able then to learn this practice on the prison yard and come out into a community and become part of this conversation, part of holding this container uh, for each other and for the youth so that the important conversations about what does it mean to be a healthy community? What does it mean to be engaged? What does it mean to have your voice empowered and to be able to really create your own destiny? How is that conversation alive in the communities? Um, for many of these folks, it's introduced while they're in prison, and it becomes a tool to carry back into these communities. And with our partners who are working with these ways, uh, you know, with a variety of populations out in neighborhoods to which these men and women are returning, uh, it's a great kind of continuum of care that's set up. And uh, with California in particular, you know, our issues around uh, reentry are really significant. A lot of uh, inmates are being released uh, now as a result of a Supreme Court decision uh, without a lot of preparation and without a lot of so-called rehabilitation. Uh, what we're doing is creating a kind of a linkage between programs that start inside and then get uh, bridged into the programs that the uh, community groups are, are developing that are council-based, based on trainings that we've done with them and programs that they've developed. And I think it's going to support reentry in a, in a much more powerful way. I loved how you introduced council uh, toward the beginning of our conversation as being able to share authentic story. Mm. And that's so resonant with the mission of this show, A Congruent Life, which is really about storytelling and, and authenticity and congruence. And maybe it's difficult, you know, given this journey that you've been on, but I wonder, do you have some reflections on the impact that council has had on your own personal journey and the, the sense of uh, developing what it means to live authentically? You know, I, I feel uh, so much more engaged in my life. You know, I, the tendency that I recognized in myself to identify uh, allies and adversaries, you know, friend and foe, and really um, identify myself and those who I thought were like me <laughs> and um, other, you know, those who uh, maybe didn't agree creates a kind of a paranoia and um, unhappiness, I think. And I think as a personal practice, the awareness that we're all so interconnected, you know, that the story that somebody who doesn't look like me, who doesn't look like anybody I would be planning to, you know, engage with, well, you know, you hear the story and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's kind of my story. How is that possible? You know, I just heard something that feels like it's a piece of me coming out of the mouth of somebody that, that shouldn't be telling my story, doesn't look like me, isn't, isn't part of my sense of who I am. You know, it leads to that sense that there's only one of us here, really, ultimately, and we're all just kind of holding a piece. And that awareness has just been so comforting. I don't know. It's so engaging to see that interconnectedness and to see, you know, to see folks who, uh, you know, I would have really thought to be problems, <laughs> challenges, uh, obstacles to overcome. 
you know, as um, really just part of the unfolding story. Uh, and I get to, you know, hold some of it and I get to see some of it in, in others. So this, you know, uh, very intense life being in a lot of council has um, really changed the way I see the world, I think, the way I experience the world, the way I feel comfortable in the world and in my own life. And I feel like I'm carrying um, a little piece of something really important. You know, it's not me. I just get to kind of sit in a seat and, and carry it a little bit for a little while and be really celebrated and confirmed and connected to the, you know, by the big story, to the big story. And it feels nourishing in a really deep way. It, it, it is really comforting to me. A week ago, Andy, I was in a, in a circle with a group of folks from Rwanda, and sitting next to me was a was a beautiful woman who had a stump for uh, at the end of her arm, and she had had an uh, experience of having her hand lobbed off by this extraordinary moment of inconceivable uh, violence in her country and um, folks who were riled up and were trained with machetes and just went on a rampage and she was one of the victims and had just tremendous tragedy in her life with uh, children who were taken from her and a horrible, uh, unspeakable, just unspeakable uh, experience 20 years ago. And as she told her story and spoke of the person who did it, uh, it was clear that that person was sitting in the circle with us. He was across the way. He was the guy who held the machete and did that to her. And the fact that, you know, through, you know, being together and kind of sitting with what it is to be human beings together at this time, he could tell his story. And those of us who were there in that room were able to first be horrified and want to just run out of there. And second, just get really mad and not know how we're not, you know, just attacking this guy. And then start to listen and see things that were so um, unexpected to see compassion, to see understanding. You know, if you stay long enough in that presence, not in the theory and not in the opinion and not in the proselytizing, but just with the story, just empathizing, opening our hearts to the story, all of a sudden there was this opportunity to grow together through unspeakable horrors. There's nothing like, you know, being that close to genocide or Holocaust and be able to see that maybe it's possible to love again, to find compassion again, to forgive, to heal. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I was in a group of people who, who truly experienced the generativity of that uh, opportunity to listen deeply to the story and see it change our hearts, to see it um, take us to a place of uh, utter horror and then confusion and then overwhelm and then compassion and then even love and that's just remarkable i mean that's just a it's a miraculous it's a, it's a it's a it's a miracle it is truly a miracle to to be able to see healing um emerge in your heart and in the hearts of those you're around uh, beautiful beautiful work and and such a an honor and a blessing to be engaged in that so um I'm uh, I'm all in on this one. That's so stunning. And the connection to the larger story, I think, is such an important piece of that. So w what do you want your legacy or your spiritual footprint, if you will, to be through this work? Wow. 
may any trace of my footprint be um, be scattered and um, smoothed out by the the winds of time, man. <laughs> wow, I'm I'm honored to be moving with this this beautiful flow uh, through this work, and um, you know I've kind of devoted myself and my time and you know my work to building an organization that's there to support the growth and the health and the sustainability of these practices. You know, Center for Council is there to, you know, to, to be part of this turning, this great turning, as Joanna Macy calls it, um, at this time. And, um, you know, may we help, uh, you know, um, make that an, uh, an easy one, uh, you know, speed, speed the process, uh, be part of the quickening around what needs to happen now for us to live a uh, harmonious, um, and, uh, nourishing and, uh, loving, uh, life together. Uh, and if I can do something to help that process unfold, I'm, I'm just excited to be here. It's not really about me at all, but if I have any ability to, 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 to steward this in some way and help others to find their way to support it, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that my life is meaning something. This is really, really big work. It's really good work, and it happens in the hearts of folks that I haven't met yet, but I feel so deeply connected to, you know. The resonance is, um, you know, it, 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 it emerges. The practice of counsel just invites a kind of a, a longing to resonate with this commonality and, um and that's just, I just really dig that. That feels really, really right to be devoting every ounce of my, um, my body and my energy to and not squander any, any moment of my life in um, helping this, this move in a good way. How can our listeners engage with you, Jared, and the work of the Center for Counsel? Thanks, Andy. Well, uh, yeah, we, we certainly... Um, We've got a lot of work. Somebody quoted something. I think it's from scripture about the uh, the harvest is large and the harvesters are few. <laughs> we uh, we really appreciate the um, support of folks who with with whom this resonates. Um, and there's a website at uh, centerforcouncil.org, and council is C O U N C I L. By the way, it's not C O U N with a S E L because that's often confused. Um, and the, the council circle is. Um, is uh, a different concept than somebody who tries to come in and, and help fix things, which uh, which folks really sometimes uh, confuse. So centerforcouncil.org is the website. And uh, on Facebook, Center for Council um, is our presence there. And I think if you go to the website and Facebook, you'll find um, a video of our, our work in prisons, which is pretty compelling, and um, some workshops happening around Southern California and around the world and maybe some stories about the work in Rwanda and elsewhere and a lot of opportunities to find out about council, to read about it, to engage in workshops, to learn about it, maybe even to bring it into your organization or community, to bring it to your family. Um, that support from outside is kind of critical for us. We, um, we love folks to be uh, really engaged in carrying this work and those who are just kind of understanding the resonance and can help manifest the uh, energy around this, the resources around it that can make it happen are also very much part of the circle. So thanks for, for, uh, yeah, for suggesting it. And we, we'd love to see the ripples 
expand. These these circles continue to uh, emerge and to radiate out. And anybody who feels uh, called, I'd, I'd love to to hear their story and to see um, how this might resonate in their lives and how they might resonate with us. Great. Well, I'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes on the for this episode, both to get the spelling right, but also just to <laughs> point people to some uh, some pretty interesting work that's going on in the world. Yeah, cool. Jared, is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? You know, I think uh, um, we have an opportunity in, in, a, in a very fast-paced and very um, intense uh, life sometimes to, um, to surprise ourselves by listening um, beyond listening. And I think anything we do, any kind of practices that um, – uh, create an opportunity for us to um, hear that still small voice, both in our hearts and also um, in the people around us, and maybe the uh, the the things around us, the beings around us that uh, don't usually um, have form or have voice. I think we're really well served to listen uh, to listen deeply, to um, make sure that nobody's voice goes unheard. That um, we understand that the more um, the more we listen, the less invisible people feel. And um, as they as they become more present, we um, we stop bumping into them. And if we're if we're not bumping into each other, I think we can create a much uh, a much more harmonious and uh, uh, happy place to to live, a more nourishing uh, environment and culture for all of us. We get kind of attached to uh, who we think we are, the story we tell about ourselves in the world, and. Uh, that can be very limiting. That can be something that we evolve based on what we think we should be and who we think we should be. Uh, I think it's a time for us to really um, have the courage to set aside all the shoulds and listen for what's really there. It creates an opportunity for the emergence of something that is much more authentic and real and sometimes requires that we step aside from uh, some uh, deeply held beliefs that we've been conditioned to hold on to um, but may not be serving anymore. And uh, practices like counsel, like meditation and yoga and all kinds of mindfulness practices really give us an opportunity to be aware of um, all that is in the way of us living an authentic life. I think when we, uh, when we are able to enter into uh, real presence with ourselves and with each other, we create an opportunity to um, really embody uh, who we really are and our potential to be um, folks who live meaningful, loving, uh, harmonious lives together. And um, we don't get there unless we um, really deliberately step away from a lot that, uh, a lot of the, the busyness and a lot of the noise that is pervasive in our life and create a, a quiet space of presence with ourselves and with each other. That's why I do this. Well, Jared Side, thanks so much for the work that you're doing in the world, for devoting your energy to being such a positive ripple in our shared consciousness and shared experience. And in the short term, thank you very much for spending this time and talking with us on Congrat Life. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Jared Side. The show notes for this episode are acongruentlife.net slash 51 or acongruentlife.net slash side, which is spelled S-E-I-D-E. 
Thanks for the recent five-star reviews for the show, including Chicago Val and Catalyst John. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at agangrowatlife.net slash iTunes or agangrowatlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.